Welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Welcome to this week's Secret Life of Cookies podcast. It's super special, and not just because my guest is legal scholar Jen Taub, but Jen had the genius idea that we should bake up some Ted Lasso-style shortbread. That's it. I think it was my idea to sing Memory from Cats. So that's your trigger warning for that right there. Luckily, there isn't much singing because we discussed Jen's book, Big Dirty Money, all about the white-collar crime that is really, truly way more insidious than we can even imagine. And I know you listeners all have very good imaginations. There is hope. Beyond shortbread, however, because Jen has some thoughts also on how to make the criminals actually pay. So go put two butter sticks on the counter to warm up and let's get chatting. I had to consent to that. Yeah, so I had to consent to it as well. (laughs) That's what happens when you have a legal scholar on the secret life of cookies. They make sure that you consent properly to this being recorded, which it is. Thank God. And thank God I have Jen Taub and Ponzu the dog live here on Zoom. It's not just us who wants cookies, apparently, but it's also Jen Taub's dog and my dog too. And they're both getting cookies as we speak. Thank you, Jen Taub, for coming here. Your wonderful book, Big Dirty Money, is now out in paperback, available to everybody. And I might add, as a book collector, of note, I mean, of of the sorts, not of note, I would say that you should have both the hardback and the paperback because that way you you have the new preface and the new epilogue. I think I like you saying that. I mean, I, you know, I always like the newer thing and I love, I love the white cover of the paperback. Mm -hmm. And I like having the blurbs on the front um, (laughs) and all that. I don't know. It's it's adorable, the little little guy. So yeah, I, I recommend it. So welcome, Jen Taub. Um, We have a lot to talk about today. We have your book, Big Dirty Money. We have a lot of white collar criming and some news that I was just watching that was breaking today about um, some legal matters that I would like to ask you about. But today we're going to make, and I love that you're baking along with me, I mean, it was all your idea, Ted Lasso's shortbread. I'm so happy about this. And I you know, so many of us are fans of that show, Every Walk of Life, whether you like sports or not. But I have a friend and I, I told them, you know, I'm making these Ted Lasso biscuits, the shortbread for The Secret Life of Cookies. And I actually offered to send her a box. I thought she'd say yes. But instead, you know what her response was? I prefer a date with Roy Kent or um, who's a young guy? That um, Joanna is dating? Yeah. Sort of. I forget his yeah. name too, but either of those would be yes. fun. Yes. Especially yeah. if they brought yeah. cookies. I mean, so I don't, I mean, I actually refer these cookies to a date with Roy Kent because my husband's really cute and kind of has that kind of gruff Roy Kent attitude. My husband's English, so I don't have to, you know, I don't have to go out of my house for Roy Kent, but. You know. Oh, how nice. And does he say the words like football and instead he of like football. soccer? And when he wants something, he just goes, oi. No, <laughs> I've met your husband. He's quite civilized. I don't think he does that. No, I mean, sometimes he doesn't shave, but he just, boy, um, only as a joke. So we're going to kick off this uh, podcast by just getting our mixers going. But before we do that, um, because shortbread is one of the easiest things you can make. You can make it by hand. You can make it with a stand mixer if you're extraordinarily lazy like I am. And it involves three basic ingredients butter, flour, and confectioner sugar. Now I said confectioner sugar, and this is a very basic shortbread. We also have some salt. You need the salt to enhance the flavor of those simple, simple ingredients, and that's what it does. And you use confectioner sugar and not regular sugar because confectioner sugar contains cornstarch. And that's what gives it that melty, melty texture. That's so interesting because cornstarch is a really good ingredient to dip tofu in. I know we're not doing anything healthy before you 
fake it or fry it. But by the way, a really important thing to say, I know it's not about the cookies, but it's Roy Kent and Sam. Sam is who she also wanted to date with. So there you go. There you go. Thank you very much. Good. Okay, I'm sorry. So back back to the biscuits. I'm sorry. I was trying to pay attention. No, I just some, don't usually pay attention when I'm cooking. At some point, I do want to talk about tofu and the great um, and using cornstarch. I also use a mixture of cornstarch, water, and vodka. Whoa, which helps it puff because it burns at a higher rate. Right, the steam comes out of it faster and it gets it crisper faster. Oh, I need to talk to you about that. That's interesting. Do you soak the, do you put the extra firm tofu in the vodka first or do you actually mix up the cornstarch with the vodka? I just mix up the cornstarch with water and vodka. Interesting. Yes. Uh, And that's courtesy of Kenji Lopez-Alt if people want to go read about tofu. But before we get into the noise of mixing, I do want to say that reading your book made me realize a few things. I'm not a legal scholar like you are. I learned a lot of mine from, well, I'll just say that my uh, greatest inspiration for it when I read your book was thinking, uh, Baby Finster has been playing with the dirty, dirty money for too long. And I get that from Bugs Bunny. Who's Baby Finster? Well, if anybody who ever watched Looney Tunes would know that Bugs Bunny had a little- I have watched (laughs) Bugs Bunny. I I watched like- down in the village once in my 20s, like a Bugs Bunny marathon. But who's Baby Finster? He was a little criminal that was in a playpen and he was dressed up. <laughs> oh, I love that. Is that kind of like the uh, Baby Boss kind of? Yes, movie? exactly. I'm sure that's where Baby Boss got its inspiration. Anyway, your book is a book where you, um, one who reads it, the one being me, needed to pace, mumble, need to have like a very patient person sitting next to you. I would almost suggest that you go out into public and read it. So you have someone to talk to about the book because I kept exclaiming things and would make my 15 year old son listen as I described just how evil GM was with its faulty ignition switch. Is it true? So I'm curious about this because it turns out for both books that I've written, other people's houses about the financial crisis and then this one, Big Dirty Money about our current white collar crime spree, people tell me that I'm by writing makes them angry. And you know, in fact, the little blurb on the front from the San Francisco Chronicle says like it's a blood boiler or something like that. So do you begin sentences with, can you believe this? And then tell your son or like what? Yes. Why I, do you have to share your anger? Oh, I guess that's what I'm doing to you. But what? <laughs> it's such a funny thing. If you know me, I don't, I mean, I think inside injustice unfairness, hypocrisy, exploitation, abuse of power, make me angry, right? Because I, you know, something my friend Nell Minow talked about, about her whole career is about standing up to bullies. I don't like people who use power and money and other things to hurt people who are not in a position to defend themselves. It's just, it's a kind of what my core is. But, you know, if you see me or know me as a person, I'm not like a bitter, angry person. So maybe it's because I do this writing that I kind of exercise these angry demons. But then what I do is I pass them on to you. And wait, here's the food metaphor. You must have watched the movie or read the book, like Water for Chocolate. Sure. And you know, when I mean, spoiler alert. Okay, so if you don't want to hear what happens in Water, like Water for Chocolate, a film that came out like 30 years ago, this is your time to check out for a second or plug your ears. But one of the things in that film, they sort of, it's, um, magical realism and then lead character whenever whatever emotion she's feeling when she bakes kind of comes through the food to the people and at one point she was very sad deeply deeply troubled because the man she loved was marrying her sister and so as she's baking the wedding cake all these feelings are coming through and then when when at this lovely gorgeous wedding all the guests eat the cake and become violently ill and it's one of the funniest scenes oh but I hope my cookies are fine. I'm in a good mood. But do you think, so I feel like very sad that I write these books. I want them to be calls to action. I want to convey to people the truth about the corruption and the unfairness, but I don't want you to have like a heart attack. So I don't know if I've struck the right balance. I think you have struck the perfect balance because you in your everyday job get to write books like this and to get to be a lawyer and get to help fight this injustice. For those of us who just sit at home, so much of this has been hidden for so long, even if it's 
in the newspaper. It's in the newspaper for a couple weeks. It's not reported with the detail that we think it that it should be reported with. And it is gross injustice after gross injustice, and it's affecting the little guy. And nothing makes us makes me angrier, right? And my problem is I'm not getting to do anything about it. So reading your book reminds me that I have to do something about it. You know, doing this, writing these kinds of books reminds me too. I mean, you know, I wonder sometimes, right? Because, you know, there's that expression, if you can't beat them, join them. I yeah. say, well, if you can't beat them and you refuse to join them, write about them. There must be something better than that, right? Like I need to take that next step. And I do try to get active in the policy space and make change. It's not enough to raise awareness. You raise awareness to make the change. So hopefully someone will listen and whether it doesn't seem like the current attorney general is going to structure the justice department in such a way to make white collar crime a higher priority, but I hope so. And I hope that we see um, some serious action on the former occupant of the white house. I don't want to say his name because I don't want to damage the food I'm making, but you know who I'm talking about. My friend, Mary's uncle. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. A relative of Mary's. Um. <laughs> I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I believe actually that my act of baking cookies, especially while talking about a book like this, is cookies bring kindness into the world and they can be soothing. So it's all about balance, you know? I do think that's true. Cookies do bring kindness into the world. And so we can draw attention to the white collar crime that's going on all around us. I think one of the, the shocking things about your book when you read it is there's nothing new here, right? This has obviously been going on for a long, long time. And in fact, you had a phrase in your book, which I just loved and I'm going to steal and I'll give you credit, but it was, you were talking about Elizabeth Warren dealing with Wells Fargo and how she was stunned by this return of events. And I had to read the line twice. (laughs) I was like, oh, yes. (laughs) I guess I wrote that. You know, it's funny when you write something, you do, you know, you learn how to keep a lot of stuff in your head and how something's structured, but you don't remember every sentence or word. So I think I'll use that, too. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before we get into the deep nitty gritty of the book, I would like to start on our biscuits because they're biscuits, shortbread biscuits. And I promise not to do a stupid English accent. This, and we're going to drop two, um, what we call in America, two sticks, but really it's eight ounces of butter that's soft. Mine's been sitting out on the counter since early this morning. And you should, people should never worry about leaving the butter out unless they have like a cat, but then let's just leave it covered. My in People should worry if they have a cat. I'm deathly allergic <laughs> to cats. <laughs> My uh, in-laws are deep into their 90s and have never refrigerated a piece of butter in their life. So I'm just Because they're British, right? They're British. Why would you refrigerate it? (laughs) Did I leave their eggs on the counter too? Because I've heard that with eggs in other countries, there's this whole story. You must know this about that. They're, what is this thing? They're pasteurized or not. And you can leave eggs out in other countries. What's the story? The story is if your eggs are unrefrigerated, keep them unrefrigerated. If your eggs are refrigerated, keep them refrigerated. Oh, so if you buy them from a market in the United States where they're refrigerated, keep them. But if you bought them at a farmer's market outdoors, you can keep them outside in your kitchen. As long as they haven't refrigerated them. If Joyce White Vance comes to your house with a dozen fresh eggs from her beautiful chickens, yeah, she hasn't refrigerated them. They're fresh out of the chicken. You can just keep like them. Like drove up from Alabama with the, with the eggs. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think would like would, that. Wouldn't it be, Joyce, I if would, you're listening, you're welcome to just just come in the door. You don't even have to to knock. Come right in and bring in the eggs, and we'll have, we'll make a nice omelet together, Joyce. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind if she actually brought maybe a couple of her chickens. I'm sure they're good travel companions. Oh, my favorite chicken of hers is named Pickles. Yeah. And I sent her a copy of the book, but instead of giving it to her, I dedicated it. She I personalized it for Pickles, and she has not made any kind of comment about that. So I'm now beginning to think she didn't read the uh, personalization. Well, you know, also Mr. DeJoy has slowed down the mail service and they just announced today they're even going to slow it down further, which really seems to me like a really bad, like, you know, business marketing pitch. Like, hey, come mail things with us and get less quickly than it used to. 
Why does he still have his job? I'm very confused. Maybe I'm just, I don't understand. I thought, I thought he could just be fired by the post office board or something. What do I know? I don't know, Jen, but I have this book about crime that you should read. White collar criminal. (laughs) (laughs) Really? It might help explain why Mr. DeJoy is still around. Um, Yeah, maybe. Criminals love criminals. Um, Before we get deeper in, we're going to take a brief uh, noise break while we both turn on our mixers and beat the butter until it's fluffy. Yes, folks, that's why chefs are cruel, because they beat the butter and whip the cream. Okay, um, here we go. I'm going to turn mine on. So right now we have creamed the butter and the confectioner's sugar. And creaming is one of those things that you read in a recipe instruction. You're like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll cream together till they get together, whatever. And nobody really pays attention to the fact that it actually does something, which is it helps to aerate your cookies. And in something so dense as a shortbread, which, I mean, you do want the dense crumbliness, you do also want a little bit of air in there so you're not getting like little sugar bricks. You can change a chocolate chip cookie just by beating the sugar longer, beating the sugar and butter longer. You can make it a chewier cookie, a fluffier cookie. Just keep that in mind next time someone tells you how long to cream your butter and sugar. But I want you to tell me more about um, criming. And just announced is <laughs> Mr. Uh, that man, um, former man. Uh, no, you know what I mean. Um, Donald, uh, as somebody else we know would call him, Donald plans to sue to keep his White House records about the Capitol attack secret. Mommy, can he do this? I mean, anyone can file a lawsuit. You're, que- you're asking a different question of whether it will be promptly dismissed or ultimately dismissed. Is that right? That is correct. Now, has he actually filed a lawsuit or is he just talking? There's some chitter chatter about it. The Guardian. And he is. wants to. So it, it's, I don't know upon what grounds he plans to sue, but if he's trying to assert executive privilege, typically That's- executive privilege is asserted by the sitting president not mm-hmm. the guy who used to occupy the White House. So I am not a constitutional law expert, but you know it would be a novel question. Um, and who knows where his, uh, such a lawsuit um, would take him. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm not surprised that he would say that. Mm-hmm. I don't think he will be successful. My question though is, is that, you know, is how quickly the case will be thrown out if it's brought. Right. It seems to me a classic Trump move. Sorry to have said the name, a classic Trump move, <laughs> which is, it should be like in Purim where you like have noisemakers when you say, we can um, say Donald. This is Donald. Donald. It's a classic Donald move though, to bring some sort of lawsuit that then keeps justice from happening. Right. If we could run a Chiron list of all the lawsuits that he has brought, and we still would be, it'd be going for, for, it'd be like a telethon, you know, of Chiron just going and going and going. The thing about him is even lawsuits that he ultimately settles or loses, they yeah. always bring some kind of delay and he can just lie to the people about what went on. And, and for him, time is always on his side. The mm-hmm. longer he delays, the more likely anger will recede and the greater possibility that he could regain the White House or whatever it is at any point in time. Delay always is in his favor. And also he, the cost of lawyers, despite you know whether they're high quality, low quality or no quality, is usually pretty low because he doesn't pay his entirely often pay his legal bills. So I'm not seeing the downside for him in, you know, puffing up these ideas and trying to get into court. Whatever humiliation he might suffer is far less than obviously what these documents contain. Correct. And as a narcissist, he would never feel any sort of shame, right? That he doesn't get injured by that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I, 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 maybe it's the opposite. Maybe, you know, he, he needs his narcissistic supply. And so any little slight toward him freaks him the F out and he flies into a rage. But it's not really 
I mean, it's not the kind of humiliation that makes him crawl under the covers and, and not move, right? It's the kind that makes him start punching wildly at the air. And then you have to apparently play memory from cats for him. And he calms right down. That's what I, I missed that see. story. I was working. And what was that? Can you tell me what you heard? I saw something on Twitter and I'm like, I don't have time for this rabbit hole. The book that Alison Gill reminds everyone not to buy by Stephanie Grisham. <laughs> by Stephanie Grisham. She said, I'm going to tell you what's in the book. Don't buy it. Please don't buy it. Um, yeah, I don't have to buy it if you can tell me if you're an Alison fan. Okay. No, but apparently, you know, they could, some of his handlers would play songs to help calm him. Like, you know, like music soothes the savage breast sort of thing. And or a baby. <laughs> um, or he has a beast child. And he, <laughs> he um, memory was one such song that appealed to him. So apparently there are people out there who really like the song Memory. When I was in a middle school chorus, we sang that song and so now it's playing in my mind and I do not want to break into song, but the lyrics are in my head. We can close out the show. You and I can both sing it. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me the first note and we can go from there. I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, and I'm sorry to T.S. Eliot and not, I'm not sorry to Andrew Lloyd Webber though. So there you go. Exactly. Um, I, uh, um, so everybody stay tuned to the end of this episode for a lovely rousing <laughs> rendition of memory. That's how we keep people listening to The Secret Life of Cookies. Um, let's take a moment. Just uh, we're making these cookies seem like they take ages to make. They don't. You could be done in seconds. That's the joy of shortbread. Um, you could also do this all by hand. We're going to take a moment and we're going to add. Um, we're going to sift our flour. And I rarely. I hate. <laughs> I hate sifting flour. Do I have to sift flour, Marissa? Well, yes, you do, Jen, because I hate it more oh. than you do. And you, there are about three recipes I've written that involve sifting flour. And um, in this case, you want to because remember I was talking about lightening things and making things airy. And yeah, um, well, this helps to do that. And it's so fast. You can be so fast. I don't even use a sifter. And I'm sitting here. I've got my little mesh bowl. And I'm my just... daughter, my older daughter, Emily, is always telling me you have to sift flour. And I feel like it. Okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to come over here the other side because I've got the. So I'm trying to with this little thing, sift the flour. I'm, I didn't tell you the secret of sifting flour, which is to take a piece of parchment or aluminum foil. And to fold it in half and then unfold it again. So basically you have a crease down the middle. You yeah, you know what my secret? Uh-uh, honey. My secret is just to have my back to you so you can't see that I dumped the flour in without sifting it. <laughs> hey, wait a sec. Wait, but you, what? See, I'll try. Okay, I'll try to sift the second one, but it's not going to be, the crease won't be bad. This is how criminals get started. It's just <laughs> small little things that they get away okay. with. You sifted the flour. Look. Okay. Hello. Yeah. Terrific. Great job. Oh, anyway. what are you doing? Oh, what did you just do? I missed the parchment paper. I should have watched you. You should have watched, but you fold the parchment paper in half. That's the rattling sound people who are listening to this yeah. um, at home get. And you, with this crease, once you've sifted the flour over it, you fold it up slightly and it holds the sides together. And then you gently dump it into your um bowl so you don't get it all over the kitchen just mostly so in the bowl. that that wire thing i need a real sifter because that wire thing is too small because i'm putting some stuff back and i also say that i want your listeners to know that don't let perfect be the enemy of good enough that is my flower i think that's definitely my motto which is you wouldn't think that someone who like develops recipes or can be all fancy with the cooking would be, but I really believe that everyone should cook and they should stop. They should just stop stressing about it and just. Yeah. So, the, you know, they're going to be dense shortbread cookies and no one in my family who eats them is going to tell me I should have sifted the flour, except Emily, who's off at her senior in college, who yeah. doesn't know. And I'm not <laughs> going to tell her to listen to the podcast, but sometimes her friends tell her when I do things and then I shall find out. Sorry, Emily. Okay. Can, Can I we, turn this on now or no? I would talking. Let's uh, turn it on. And while we're turning it, while we're doing this, folks at home, um, I'm also going to encourage Jen to butter her eight by eight inch or nine by nine inch square pan. 
Okay. Okay. I'll accept so just, that. <laughs> here we go. Midnight, not a sound from, from the, from the pain. Pain. Okay, Let's not do this. <laughs> <laughs> this is the time I've added chocolate chips to mine because I live very close to the edge of sin in my life. And yeah, I also have <laughs> I also have a bunch of plain ones right there. And my daughter is coming home from college for the first weekend um, since she left. And so she likes chocolate chips and things. Well, I've decided that if I'm going to not actually fully sift the flour, then I'm not, I'm just going to do traditional with the other aspects of it. Okay. Shortbread are kind of awesome because you can do so much with them. You know, what's also sort of awesome how um, uh, criminals, white collar criminals get away with the crime. And I was trying, I was thinking up as I'm sitting here, pitter patting the dough gently into oh, the pan. Wait. I was yes. supposed to take the dough out of the mixer. Oh shoot, I'm falling behind. It's it's okay. 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 It's good that I'm ahead of you. I should be. Is that a snobby thing to say? It isn't meant to be. No, anyway, it's fine. I accept that. You need to just gently pitter pat it into the pan, like I said, like a little baby kitten needing its mama's belly. Um because you don't want to compress it too much. Remember all that time you spent getting air into your Oh, cookies? you know what I forgot to do? What? It's too late. I forgot to do the zest. Oh, it is a little late for that right now. That's all right. I can use a lemon for something else. Or you know what you do? Just do a little zest over the top of what you're doing. Nah. Hold it over. You sure? Okay. I don't you trust can hold myself. it over. It's all right. I'll mess it will mess up one more less thing in my kitchen. I believe in you implicitly. Um, when I was thinking about these white collar criminals and yep. the other fantastic phrase that you use, I mean, you use lots of them, but the, the idea that they just kind of go about their doings because of mutually assured immunity. I was thinking about like, to me, I just imagine these guys as prep school boys, you know, and it's as if like, you know, they get caught for selling pot to their friends. They right. go before the headmaster. The headmaster says, young man, that's a very terrible thing to do. I shall have to call your parents. They call the parents. The parents say, that's a terrible thing. We can't believe little Johnny would ever do such a thing. We're such upstanding people. And by the way, can we give you $150,000 for a lacrosse field? And then Johnny goes back to his room, says, yeah, real sorry. And then he keeps selling marijuana to people. And it, it just happens at a bigger scale with many more um, people affected by it. White collar crime, it, it can be lurid and it can be shocking. But I think when you start to think about how it impacts us, the little people, and you have a statistic about that, it's stunning. You know, it, it, what's interesting too is, you know, when you think about it though, I'm not, you know, you look at, you think, okay, the prep school kids do either get caught drinking in their dorm room or, you know, smoking pot or dealing some, I mean, handling it. You know, sometimes I get kicked out of school, right? Sometimes someone makes a donation, yeah. but I'm not so sure. I mean, I know, I don't think it should have, the police should be involved for that. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's so unfair because if you're not a white rich kid at a prep school, but you're, you know, a black kid who's smoking pot, then you could end up dealing it. You could end up with a serious prison sentence. And you know, it's it's that disparity that's a problem. Even in this country, we've got the former Speaker of the House like on the board of a cannabis company. While marijuana is still illegal in many states, and people still have these records that have not been expunged. For some things, you know, this sort of mutually assured immunity where people don't tell on each other or rat on each other for minor things and protect their own or handle things privately, you know, why can't that be done in other communities, not just for the wealthy? And then when you get to stuff that's really harmful, like you said, with some of the statistics about white collar crime not being a victimless, this victimless crime, you know, whether it's fraud, whether it's covering up faulty ignition switches, whether it's criminally, you know, selling. And I say criminally because there have been two felony cases uh, selling, um, you know, Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family, you know, making billions of dollars off on, you know, illegal sales or illegal advertising of highly highly addictive opioids, you know, there, there's, there are real people, real harms, families get hurt, 
there's no, when you get addicted to opioids, if you're not wealthy, there's no guaranteed rehab. There's not, you know, and we can just think about the different ways people's lives play out. Um, so some of it has to do, you know, it has to do with, you know, I mean, I could quote F. Scott Fitzgerald about people, the wealthy are very careless and they mm-hmm. protect their own. Um, and at the end of the day, try to stay out of their way because they wreak havoc. Now, there, you know, here we are cooking and it would be a mistake for us to forget about Martha Stewart, who actually <laughs> was convicted for obstruction of justice and lying to the government. She was not convicted for insider trading, though she was investigated for it. And she did her time. I think she knit some ponchos in prison. Am I right? I can't remember what yeah. she knitted. Yeah. And she helped and, people. She taught people. Or crocheted. Internet. Was it crocheted? Probably crocheted. Um, there's a difference. At any rate. And she's rehabilitated herself, right? It's not so easy to rehabilitate yourself if you're not Martha Stewart. No, if you're a kid who is mm. thrown in jail for a minor, um, as Jen licks her fingers, for a, oh, a minor. I'm washing my hands now. <laughs> I decided not to lick all the dough off of it. But go ahead. But if you're a kid who ends up in prison because you sold some marijuana, because you needed to make some money, and that's the way you saw to make money, yes, it's not, with- not the thing you're supposed to do, but yes this really is going to turn your life upside down unless you have the things in place to help people who have gone to jail, who've been to jail. But jail never ends up being a deterrent for white collar criminals, it seems, because they don't usually end up going. And if they do, they end up going to a, you know, what do they call it? Club fed? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's these are places that are not, I mean, they're not comfortable places and no one likes to lose their liberty, but it's not like Rikers Island or something. Mm-hmm. where people are going right can I ask you a question I'm getting I know you want to talk about my book but I already wrote and read my book and I want to talk <laughs> to you for a second about this part of the recipe that you sent me that says using a sharp knife score the dough into even pieces and just now you told me this thing I can't cut this into 30 pieces you said 30 I I, I did but I originally used a ruler and if you use a ruler and measure across, oh. how big is your pan? Eight inches or nine inches? Eight by eight. Eight by eight. Okay, mine is eight by eight as well. Now you could okay. cut, you could score it every how inch. How about and I half. go down the middle? I think that I should go down the you middle do first. Very smart idea. And just as I can, and then down the other middle, you know, I'm crisscrossing. Oh. So now I've got four. You're going to do squares. Giant, yep. Four giant ones. And then should I cut those in half? I would cut, I actually might cut those in, in thirds. Um, uh, no, I, yeah, I would put, I would put two cuts down the middle. Okay. So do that in each of those. Yep. So you see they're each about an inch now. Yep. And so now you have 16 long bars. I do. I do. I have 12. <laughs> Cause you only cut yours in the <laughs> middle. <laughs> okay. For all the kindergarten no, math can... teachers out here, this is why you it's good okay. to teach people about math with food. Okay, I'm doing it. I'm just going to make them look like the right size of little tiny bites. Don't worry. It's not going to be a terrible situation. It won't be okay. at all. I have one, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five. I have 36. See what happened? See how amazing you are? You made stuff happen. I'm going to make oh these a little God, bigger. Oh my God, this is so great. <laughs> So um, the thing that has to happen right now, because your butter was so soft, everybody's butter was so soft, is you've got to put this into the refrigerator. But before you put it in the refrigerator, you need to do a little thing called docking. And each little oh. one of your squares oh, needs yeah. a little fork, if you'll pardon the expression. Oh, I love, my friend Joni's mother was from, <laughs> in high school, was from Scotland. Yeah. And I remember what this looked like. So the, how many dots in each? As many as you want. They're your biscuits, baby. They're not very big, so one will suffice. Some speaking, of them, I, I hate to tell you that these are not <laughs> even not, all the same size. Mine aren't either. Mine aren't either. Yesterday, I measured mine beautifully with a ruler. And for those of you out there who are much better at being anal retentive bakers than I am, you can use a ruler. A nice thing to use is a pizza cutter to help you roll it across. Um, but we I didn't use a ruler. Now. I shouldn't have doubted you. If I had slowed down <laughs> and believed in the 30, I wouldn't have ended up with 36. It's okay. I thought it was going to have 20. Okay. It's the story of my life, but it's okay. I'm getting used to it. The okay. other thing that we need to do after we 
is sprinkle some sugar on the top. Oh, what kind of sugar did you say to sprinkle? Well, I'm sprinkling some sugar in the raw, turbinado sugar. You can uh, sprinkle demerara sugar. Okay, I got some sugar in the raw right here. And if you don't have that, you can just sprinkle granulated white sugar. Okay, how how much? Just so it shimmers a little? Yeah, gentle sprinkling. But you don't want it to like sound like you're breaking teeth when you're eating it. Yeah, my dentist doesn't <laughs> like that. She's fabulous. Her name is Corinna Wall and she juggles. And I videotaped her juggling the other day. Can she juggle teeth like small things? No, just she and her father who started the practice juggle and they hired this other dentist and they only found out after he joined them that he juggles too, which is kind of incredible. That is an amazing story and makes a, <laughs> can either make you think that you're dentist used to be a creepy clown which many dentists i think might have been or no i love my dentist i've always loved my dentists but it could i love um, them i love them i love my the wall of dentistry in northampton massachusetts in the beautiful pioneer valley of western massachusetts when i should fridge this yeah frigidate it okay as we say in my house for about 30 minutes just to let it harden okay um i would like to do uh finish talking about creepy dentists because there is an extraordinarily, I think we have the creepiest dentist on the planet right near me here in Clifton, New, Clifton, New Jersey, which is near me. And every year he puts on this incredible display of mannequins and makes like a haunted village in his yard. And so he has mannequins that he usually dresses in bikini outfits and if you could type into your computer Clifton, New Jersey, dentist, Halloween, you will get pictures of his front yard. It's been on the news. Um, so oh, is, does he have a thriving dental practice or not really? I mean, Let really me ask, creepy. would you go to a dentist who had a gurney with a patient with a bloodied, you know, mannequin of a patient um, on his front lawn? I wouldn't, but he obviously has some clients still or some patients. Or maybe he doesn't. Yeah, he has to have something to pay for the, all the new things he buys every year. Um, let me let me ask you uh, one thing about your book. One more thing okay. about your book, which is one of the um, new things you added to your book. Did I mention you all should buy it? Is um, <laughs> you have a six-step plan for the future. So that it's not just a question of me reading this book and gnashing my teeth and saying we're all for shit. The world's a terrible place, which we can still say while reading the book. But you offer some advice. You said gnashing your teeth, but I thought you said ganache, and could, <laughs> which is a delicious thing. <laughs> I include. <laughs> I frequently I prefer to ganache my teeth. Let me just say. <laughs> Um, and yeah, next I, week, <laughs> that should be the name of my other podcast, Ganashing My Teeth about world affairs with Marissa Roadcup. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I do have these, you know, six ideas. And one good thing is that one of them, between the time the book was published initially in October mm-hmm. of 2020, and now one of them actually has partially gone into effect, which is really wonderful. Which is? Um, so. Well, it has to do with um, getting the true owners of shell companies that are usually used for money laundering and other illicit activities to require them any um, what's considered kind of a, a shell company. I'll help explain that now has to disclose their beneficial owners to the Treasury Department, to the, the FinCEN uh, division, which is a finance financial Enforcement Network Division, Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, part of the Treasury Department. And so this is a this is a big deal. And it's going to for existing for companies that are not exempt from this requirement, you have to do this. And so what they're trying the exemptions are obvious ones. If you're a, you know, a big publicly traded company, you know, you're Exxon. Exxon is not going to need to provide the list of its beneficial owners. It's not a shell company. Mm-hmm. You can find you can find Exxon if they're doing something unlawful in theory that can be investigated. <laughs> but we're talking about um, the kind of company that, and it doesn't apply to banks. It doesn't apply to entities that are huge, you know, are highly regulated. But it does apply to, in particular, if you have an entity that you have 
a corporation or a limited liability company that's organized under one of the states in the United States. And just so you know, you may not realize this, but in America, if you want to start a corporation or a limited liability company, you have to go to the Secretary of State's office where you incorporate or establish it and get create um, and file the articles of incorporation or the certificate of incorporation, depending on the state. So in the United States, every corporation, whether it's a holding company or any of the subsidiaries under it, or just you start up an LLC with some friends to do something, um, you have to, if you want to get the protection of limited liability, you have to create the company under one of the state's laws. If you don't do that, you could end up being a partnership. And the that's bad because the benefits of limited liability mean that if your company goes bust or there has a big problem and it has all these debts it has to pay. When you have a limited liability entity of some sort, that means they the uh, people that the business owes money can't come after you personally and mm-hmm. take your house away and your cookies away and all the, and your cat and all that. Oh. Um, anyway, Good. so so this is a background. So if you are one of those, if you're a company established under one of the law, one of the fifty states here, or you're a company from abroad licensed to do business in America, if you if your company has fewer than twenty employees, and brings in less than $5 million a year, and I think there's a couple other things, you have to disclose to this FinCEN who the beneficial owners are, meaning who are the real humans behind this. Because believe it or not, um, when you start a corporation or a limited liability company, you don't have to, when you file it, like I could look up a company, any company online, but they don't have to say who actually are the real owners. And so this is a pretty big change that's coming into effect um, the only downside I see is, you know, we don't know how these exemptions are going to work out. Um, non-compliance is going to be a big issue. But the, I think the other problem is the public doesn't see it, right? It's just FinCEN. And as you might have remembered, about a year ago, there was that big leak, the so-called FinCEN files leak, um, mm-hmm. where, where it was meant to, uh, I think someone's now being prosecuted for leaking it. But this was the FinCEN files, which a number of news organizations across the U.S. and globe had these files, looked through them, and they they really talk about the ways in which FinCEN itself, the U.S. Department of Treasury, is kind of sitting on information. They don't necessarily do enough with it, right? So to me, the limit here is how much time does FinCEN have to really comb through these things? They already get information. Right now, FinCEN is already getting information from, you know, we're connected to banks, you know, if banks file these um you know, bank has to whenever a cash transaction of ten thousand or more, they have to file something. Banks, if they see suspicious activity, have to file a report. FinCEN has all these these data. What are they doing with it? Or when a giant bank, you know, I know they're exempt from this, but when a giant bank, the banks aren't exempt from the filings I'm talking about, just the new stuff. But when a giant bank like HSBC or other banks continually get in trouble for money laundering, they never lose their charters. The top executives never seem to have any consequences. So. On the one hand, I do believe that sunlight is the best disinfectant, but I believe prison time is the best deterrent. I'm building on Brandeis there. Did you see me mix that in? Kind of like really good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks. I've never said that before, so you can use that too. Totally. Lewis Brandeis would be very proud of you. He like would like Thank the you. update. I think. Yeah. I think he'd like the cookies too. I'm, I'm sure, sure he would. <laughs> I just think. I imagine him a very sort of a vuncular guy. I don't know why. That's the question that I um, have and had throughout the book and be talked about, which is, will this ever stop? Like, can, like, I understand that you have a stick, there's a six step plan that will help us in the future, but for right now, and I think the banks are the best example of this. Like, can you briefly update the folks at home about what happened with Wells Fargo during COVID? Two things. One, I just turned the oven on. Was I supposed to do that? That's a great idea. It's always good to preheat your oven, even though the oven only needs to get to 300 degrees. Okay. So in order to put in context what the heck Wells Fargo is up to lately, I think I need to remind people, although they might not need so much of a reminder, of what Wells Fargo recently got in trouble with, and trouble for. And I think it might have been, it was either 20, I think it was like 2016 or 2015 when news broke that the government had found out uh, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And I think there was, I'm not sure what other agency had found out that Wells Fargo, maybe it was the OCC, which is the bank regulator. Wells Fargo had opened up millions. It turns out to be over 2 million after the investigation, millions of accounts without customer authorization. 
Mm. So this was because of cross-selling. So maybe you had a bank account, like a savings account, and then they opened a credit card line. Or maybe you had, all you had was a credit card with Wells Fargo and they opened a bank account. Or maybe you had a mortgage with them and they added both. Who knew what it was? Mm. But they added accounts that customers' authorization. They were also doing things that they weren't supposed to do with in terms of um, there's special laws that regulations that protect veterans who are like overseas defending the country. And they were doing things like repossessing, repossessing cars from veterans families here when they weren't supposed to be doing it. They, they were doing things like charging people. If you, if you got a car loan through Wells Fargo, because that's how it was financed, maybe through your dealership or you just went to them for the car loan, they were adding to without your consent insurance. And I don't mean car insurance. I think it had to do with like payment default insurance. I'm not sure what kind of insurance they added on. And then people didn't, you know, they were then repossessing their car because they couldn't afford their payment. So they did a lot of bad stuff. And they had these major settlements with the regulators. And the news kept coming out. There were two congressional hearings, bipartisan anger at Wells Fargo. The head of Wells Fargo steps down. They elevate somebody else. And then, you know, all this stuff trickles out. And by the way, the head of Wells Fargo steps down like within a month of the congressional hearings. Again, I think it was either 2015 or 2016. He, John uh, Stump steps down and he retired. And then it was like in um, 2020, so like five years later, long after he's retired, finally the Office of the Controller of the Currency, the bank regulator at the time, like announced that they were going to fine him a little bit more, even though he oh. walked away, he walked away with millions of dollars, right? I think it, I can't remember the exact number, um, what his severance payments were. Whatever that final number was, he had, you know, he, he's exceedingly wealthy. He has tens of millions of dollars, at least. They fine him, which doesn't make much of a dent on his millions. And they ban him from the industry for life. And it's like this dude's in his 60s and he already retired, you know, because the idea was that he must have known, but there's no evidence that he knew. He was putting pressure. He had this thing called eight is great. He thought there should be eight relationships that Wells Fargo had with customers. And he was pumping the stock up, telling shareholders, look, we have all this cross-selling and such and such. So he was putting pressure on people and then they put pressure on salespeople. And what happened is there were some salespeople who said, I don't want to do this. And then they, some, one of them called the hotline and was fired, right? So people got fired and retaliated against if they didn't go with the flow. And then some who went with the flow ended up in trouble, but the people at the top, you know, kept their, you know, kept their hands and their boots clean. And that was that. But here, I've got some good news about this. Good news. Joe Biden just nominated a law professor from Cornell called, uh, her name is Sauli Amarova, mm -hmm. to be the new controller of the currency, which is the head of the, the, the notoriously lax banking regulator. <laughs> so she is, I can tell you, she's a friend. She's utterly brilliant. She is somebody who early on was writing. And by the way, I think she worked in finance before she went to teach in law. And she was one of the people who was writing early on, you know, shortly after the financial crisis about how banks shouldn't be involved in commodities. They were cornering the aluminum market. You might have remembered some of this stuff that was happening way back mm -hmm. when. So she's a really fantastic person. So I'm encouraged by that. So that's good. I'm not sure that the Department of Justice, you know, that's a separate issue. You know, this, most of the regulators don't have any criminal authority, just the Department of Justice does. So they can, but anyway, I, I see. I see Joe Biden getting it in terms of the financial regulators who he's putting in place at the SEC, who he's nominated to the Com Commodity Futures Trading Commission, this nomination at the OCC. That's, I'm happy about that. I hope that wasn't too much in the weeds. No, I, I think Oh, wait, that's... we didn't get to, oh, shoot, shoot. You want to get to what Wells Fargo did. Okay, so I gave it way too long of a background. This is what's unbelievable, what they did. So you would think that after Wells Fargo got in so much trouble, opening accounts with that customer authorization, you would think that like on everybody's screensaver at work, there would have been something that said, do not, look in all caps, do not open account for customer without their consent, right? That would be like, do not do anything without customer consent. Oh no. What they did is so like, you might remember, because we're still in a pandemic, but at the beginning of the pandemic in which we are in, I don't remember you know, much from them, but okay. I, the numbers, the numbers in March and April in terms of job loss, I mean, we, this country had this near lockdown. People were, you know, restaurants closed. They're barely reopened. So retail, people were, it was like the greatest number of 
these unemployment numbers just shot up, right? Or the employment rate shot down, however you want to look at it. And so there was a real question, a real fear that people were going to lose their homes, be evicted. And so the good news is this time around, unlike the 2008 financial crisis, there was some stuff put in place to make sure that wouldn't happen. And one of the things- great, right? Yay, right. (laughs) But it may expire. Um, But one thing that was put in place is that mortgages that I think were backed by the FHFA, which is a federal entity, I think that were was Fannie and Freddie mortgages. At any rate, banks that had certain backing for their mortgages were allowed to like extend. They were going to say, you know what? We're not going to make you make a mortgage payment. If you call us and you say, I don't have a job. I'm freaked out because of COVID. Everyone's dying. All these things that are really happening at the time, you mm-hmm. could have put a pause on your mortgage payment and just deal and then like pick up when you needed to. Wonderful idea. Except Great. you would say, well, what's in it for, you know, why would a mortgage servicer like Wells Fargo do that? Because it was a little sweetener. Like for every, they would give money, you know, to, you could get money from the government if you, you know, whether it was a hundred or $200, if you did that. So people at Wells Fargo, employees, if, a, if I called up just to say, when is my payment due? Or I t- called up about a question, even if I didn't ask to put my mortgage on pause, they were putting people's mortgages on pause. This is why people and, mumble and shout when they read your book. Wait, but this, this is what's crazy. Is so you, you might say no harm, no foul, but you would be wrong. Because imagine this. <laughs> Let's say you had your monthly payment deducted from your bank account. And it wasn't, you know, not everyone is checking every month to see like what's coming out. So you might not notice. And here's what, here was the problem. There were people who were in the middle of trying to refinance their house. And now all of a sudden on their credit report, it's showing up that they're not making mortgage payments. Mm-hmm. Or what's worse, there were people who were in the process because they were in trouble in the process of bankruptcy who were trying to reorganize their debt, but they were staying current on their mortgage. And they come to find out they almost got rejected from the bankruptcy proceeding to clear their debt they couldn't pay because they came to find out that they weren't actually paying their mortgage like they were supposed to be or something. I mean, it was just like outrageous. And and Wells Fargo did like an internal report and admitted to some of this, but like, what kind of controls do they have in place that this kind of stuff can still go on? And I think at the end of the day, they are too big to manage, too Mm. big to manage. They're too big to, they've proven it now. Um, And they, I believe, need to be broken up into divisions where they can actually run their business in such a way that they're not hurting people constantly. You know, that would be good. One of the things, like, from my, like, vindictive point of view is that they need to be much more clear in the wrongdoing with people about the wrongdoings that they have wrong done, which is, (laughs) it seems to me that, you know, Maybe how many people actually listen to the news? How many people actually watch the news? It's not that many people, right? So a lot of people who are Wells Fargo customers, they wouldn't have really heard about this. Did Wells Fargo have to send out a statement in their, with their, you know, monthly bank statements that, I'm sorry, we did something. No one gets those anymore. Like you can, you often get like, sometimes you're accidentally signed, you like, click through something and now suddenly you're paperless and you're like not getting bills, right? Exactly. Why? But if I, I very quickly can get a pop-up on my screen that says, you know, if when I, you know, tune into Wells Fargo on my computer, will you accept cookies? Why shouldn't they have to do something on my ATM screen when I take out money from my Wells Fargo account that says, we did something really bad. We took advantage of our customers and really like, <laughs> you know, well, what's complicated though is I'll tell you why you don't want to. Here's the thing with banking. I mean, when customers lose confidence in a bank, mm-hmm. if they pull out their deposits and there's a run on the bank, mm-hmm. that will be paid for by the FDIC's deposit insurance fund, which only has so much money in it. And so if that runs out, then Treasury has to pay for it. Like we don't want to get, we don't want to create a run on a bank. Um, <laughs> All right. You know, that's not good. But I do. But you think also that don't want people, you know, I think the board of directors, whoever's there, like someone's asleep at the switch, you know, and not just one person. And at some point, you know, we, I have to say, you know, maybe they're not asleep at the switch. Maybe they're really caffeinated at the switch. That's <laughs> what I was just going to say. I'm like, no one is sleeping at the switch. There are people <laughs> who are like twitching like hamsters on <laughs> cold brew. 
in the offices How going, hey, have you had today? <laughs> I've had lots of cold brew. It's apparently <laughs> National Coffee Day. And I celebrated with a lot of cold brew. It's National um, Coffee Day. That's right. Because I saw Essie Cup on Twitter wearing like a whole, did you see this outfit she had on? It was like mm-hmm. a whole Dunkin' Donuts, all like a white tracksuit, but it had like orange and pink. And I actually expanded <gasps> the photo because I was like, this is so cool. Like, how come right. I don't have a Dunkin' Donuts tracksuit, you know? But then I realized, because I'm not SC Cup, so that's fine. That's okay. also true. I mean, you do live in Massachusetts, the home of Dunkin' Donuts. This is true. Uh, how um, do you do your coffee? Oh, well, it's a good question. A long time ago, I um, was the gadget lust editor for Newsweek magazine and used to um, review all sorts of kitchen gadgets, a job wow. I'm hoping to do again soon, not for Newsweek. But one of the things I reviewed was the AeroPress coffee maker. And it is the most basic, most wonderful coffee maker and makes beautiful, non-bitter, non-oily, um, non-acidic coffee. And I love it. Ooh. And I, I use often use La Colombe in it, but to, I went to Costco and spent money. And at Costco, they had two giant, two giant bottles. Carafes? <laughs> no, but they were like plastic carafes. Um, La Colombe <laughs> cold brew. Oh. I can say to you is it has been a very efficient week for me. Well, um, I have a question. Is it sweetened or do you sweeten it yourself? Or do you, in other words, I don't like something that has sugar in it. Like I wanted, I don't want that. Mm-mm. This is pure, pure <gasps> stuff, man. Um, for the people <laughs> at home who um, are wondering just how obsessive Jen and I are about making Ted Lasso <laughs> shortbread, I think it's unfortunate that this is a podcast because we actually both independently of each other, but just an <laughs> indication of how nuts though we are, ordered pink bakery boxes. And you too can order pink bakery boxes so you can deliver your shortbread to your friends or store them on your counter, just like Ted Lasso. I have to say I was a little disappointed in the pink bakery boxes that I bought because they should be candy boxes. This is a little bigger than I wanted. Yeah, and I think that has to do with British versus American. I had a long think about this because that's the kind (laughs) of stupid stuff I think about. But yes, a candy box would do a fine job. Um, This is a little bit too much of a serving for some bad people. (laughs) For some. (laughs) Not for the bold, though. No, no, Should no. I be getting wax paper? Oh, wait. For what? Oh, shoot. I only have parchment paper, not wax paper. What do you what need wax am I gonna paper do? for? For putting it in the box. Doesn't he like wrap it up in wax paper? He might, but I want you to use parchment because it's much better. It's prettier. <gasps> oh, maybe. No, okay, I've got parchment. I'm just getting it ready for when we're all set with this. Okay. <laughs> okay. The truth be told, Jen, I think we must call this uh, podcast to a close for now and we will have to post our beautiful beautiful um, biscuits biscuits I tell you online um, because these shortbread do one thing that I mentioned to you in the recipe and we'll post the recipe online but shortbread like all of us wish to get better with age which also makes them one of my favorite cookies <laughs> they bake for about 45 to 50 minutes depending on your oven and you're Uh, Everyone should know that Jen was using a glass dish and glass dishes uh, tend to cook a little bit faster and um, dark dishes also, if I'm using a very dark dish as opposed to a nice silvery dish also take a little longer. So um, the only trick with shortbread is making sure that you don't under or overcook them. And since you want them to be a sort of light golden color, that can be a little tricky, but you know what? Look for a nice light golden color. And a little tiny, tiny, tiny bit of color at the edge. But Jen Taub, it has been a true pleasure. I could, we could make this podcast last forever and ever. We should do a live TV show that's all just us cooking and talking about criming. Um, thank you very much for being here today and for sharing your book with us. And Wait, can I stop you? I know you want to end the show, but you know what our podcast could be called? What? Cooking the Books. Oh. <laughs> I like it, right? Okay, folks. Um, who should we talk to? Um, uh, talk to our friend Mary. <laughs> she knows everything. She knows everything. Oh my gosh, Allison Gill, if you're listening, cooking the books <laughs> could be coming your way. Cooking and criming. 
Beautiful. I, I think on that note, I mean, well, there is one other note we could end on, you know. What? Midnight all alone. No, I've got to stop. Um, but that anyway, was beautiful. Are, <laughs> that was, so I mean, it's so much better than when I try to sing with you. I, 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 will you start again, please, so I don't interrupt? Just start over. No, I think you should sing with me. I'm not going to do it again by myself. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it off camera or I mean off off uh, audio. That will be much better for 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 people, trust me. <laughs> it's when my dog starts singing along that I know I've really, really... The howling. <laughs> wow, my voice is really bad. Um, now I had a, a small uh, jazz group when I was at Mount Holyoke College. Anyway, Jen Dove has gone off camera. Thank you. So no, no, I'm just checking the oven. It's okay. <laughs> Bye. Okay, tune in for another special episode of Jen and Maritha in Cooking the Books, where we sing show tunes, talk about white collar criminals, and use as much white sugar as possible. Thank you so much for joining us on the Secret Life of Cookies podcast. I apologize for my singing. But if you subscribe to the podcast and leave a pleasant review on Apple, I promise not to sing again. You can find Jen's book out in paperback wherever fine books are sold. The recipe for the shortbread is on my website, marissarothkopf.com. Thank you and have a safe and wonderful week.